Hey guys, it me, Ray. I'm back. Host of the Stuff I Don't Like podcast. I took a hiatus for a couple months because I was working on some other projects, but I'm glad to say that I will be back wherever you're listening to this podcast every Sunday, 9.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. New episodes will be dropping, so please, you know, get back in the groove and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast so you can get those fresh episodes. I will say the reason that I was gone, among other things, is that I started a new cartoon, a web series with my friend Julissa. So I've been working on that and I'm excited for you all to go see that so please go to our website Julissa Who that's J-U-L-I-S-A-W-H-O dot com and follow us on Instagram at Julissa underscore who and yeah it's gonna be a funny cartoon a great show if you guys are in the LA area we'd actually love to have you out to our premiere of the show we're making space august 10th it's gonna be great we're gonna have a dj live music performances live stand-up comedy food drinks merch the whole nine yards so if you're in the la area please go to julisahoo.com and find out more about the event and it's free free 99 y'all know i'm cheap so i had to make that a deal for you guys it's free roll through come through if you're in la august 10th but other than that, you know, let's start the show. This interview is going to sound a bit different to you guys because it's in a different format. It's actually a rebroadcast of a podcast that I was interviewed on. Um, I was a guest on my friend Katie's podcast called Swipe Right. It's a show about modern dating in this app fueled world and we were discussing first dates and uh why i dislike them and how we can improve uh this situation for all parties involved but i loved the interview so much and i thought it was great and i wanted to share it on my podcast so you guys could listen to it so check it out thanks Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Stuff I Don't Like. I'm here with Luke from Abantu Audio, and we're going to talk today about his business. Basically, they decided to start this um, business to bring stories of, you know, underserved and oppressed communities and uh, highlight them for mass consumption so we can just learn more about ourselves and you know, learn about our history and stories. So thanks for being on the show, Luke. Thanks for having me. It's great to um, finally get a chance to talk to you. You too. So what inspired you guys? So I know it's not just you. Um, um, there's three of you guys that own um, a band too. So what inspired you guys to start this company? Yeah, there's there's definitely three of us. Um, I'm I'm the founder, and I have two of my co-founders, Travis Hatcher and um, Alejandro Gonzalez. And um, honestly, what what inspired me to to start this company was one the lack of. Um, one day I was listening to an audio book, and um, I wanted to find a specific book, a specific title that I was looking for, and uh, I couldn't find it. Uh, I, I looked everywhere for it and I couldn't find the audio vers- um, version of it. Um, and I, unfortunately, my schedule at the time, it wouldn't allow me to, um, it wouldn't allow me the time to actually sit down and read. So I got a little upset. And that's when it dawned on me um, because I've, I've been constantly trying to find at the time um, back in 2015, a way in which I could positive, positively impact my community um, and, and, and in a way that that will help um, expand us and elevate us. And the thought that came to my mind was one of the most detrimental issues that we that we have as a community, I think, is the lack of um, education, the lack of um, information, quality information that's provided to us or that's accessible to us. Um, you know, the, the education the school systems, unfortunately, they don't necessarily invest that much in our schools. Um, even the, some of the um, HBCUs, you know, you'll see that. We, they don't necessarily get the funding that they need and require as well. So, you know, when it comes to our communities of um, black communities and communities of color overall, 
we don't necessarily get the investments when it comes to our education and our knowledge and, and, and information. I also started seeing how on Facebook, we people would post memes on Facebook about our history and that um, some was accurate, but some wasn't quite very accurate. So um, all this in mind, I, I thought to myself, you know what, why don't we just build a platform, a black platform or, or a platform for people of color that specifically have, because these books are available, you know, there's so many writings and so much information out there and, and, and literature out there. Um, so why don't we create a platform specifically for our communities, our stories, our narratives, and, and, and overall um, encompassing um, everything about us, our accomplishments, our successes, our struggles, our, our similar um, shared um, history at times. Um, and, and ultimately, even to go even further than that, the, um, you know, just, just our own perspectives when it comes to fantasy or sci-fi and all this. So all that um, being said, that, that, that's what inspired the, the, the idea, really. That's amazing. So just logistically, how does it work? Like you were saying, you couldn't find the audiobooks or certain books. So do you have to reach out to the publishers and get like licensing rights for it to be on your platform? Or how does it actually work? Yeah, I mean, that's that's similar to what Netflix and all these other um, platforms that, that we consume do. Um, you know, you definitely have to reach out to the publishers um, to, to license the rights, um, obviously, because of the copyright laws and all that. Um, it, 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 was, it, it was disheartening, honestly, um, when, I, when I began this journey to, 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 to build this platform and, and brought on my, my co-founders to, who, who were on board to do the same for, for the black and brown communities. Um, it was disheartening to me to find that, you know, there's, there's not as many prevalent um, black owned publishing companies as I would have had hoped. Um, and honestly, I think when it comes to these industries, specifically literature and publishing, um, I don't think our, our black and brown communities really look into it in depth because um, there's definitely a, I call it what I call a, a, a racial or cultural monopoly when it comes to literature or access to 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 this in, this type of information or publishing in general, um, things are changing now. Thank God. But but yes. Yeah, so so going back to your your question, we definitely license these. Um, we we definitely license these rights, these audiobook rights to to actually not only produce them but also distribute them on our um, platform, Ubuntu Audio. So uh, so yeah, that's that's essentially in a short term. That's that's or long story story um, long story. That's that's how it works. Yeah. So I think what you brought up a point about ownership is a hundred percent true. You know, I'm not in the publishing industry. I'm a screenwriter, so I write TV shows, but it's a very similar um, problem in TV. I think there's a similar problem in music, just all across industries where you have people that don't have ownership to distribution. And that's what really makes a difference. And I think, like you said, things are changing, but things really aren't changing behind the scenes. I think people are tricked because, you know, you might see more diversity on screen or, you know, you might see more diverse writers that get the opportunity to publish a book. But unless people are not, you know, actually behind the scenes, um, owning their distribution, owning how um, this information is, you know, disseminated, collecting royalty and whatnot off that, then it's really, it's really, in my opinion, not that important <laughs> because I, you know, I'd rather, I I, yeah, go on. No, I, I- I feel you. I, I was going to say, and um, not to cut you off, um, especially when you talk about the music industry, because um, ownership is probably the most important thing. And I'm glad that um, they're starting to be, um, I'm hoping it's not just a trend. I'm hoping it's an actual movement that's happening where, where we're understanding the importance of ownership and the importance of actually um, doing for self. So um, when you brought up the point about music, um, I, I think about hip hop, right? You know, black people, we, we created hip hop, which is the, the most influential and popular form of music in the world globally, right? We literally created this genre of music, which was once shunned in quote-unquote mainstream society. But now it's the most influential music 
in the world, and yet we don't necessarily own it. We we engage in it. You have rappers, you have some executives, but when you think about who owns the distribution and who owns these record labels, these major record labels, it's not the people that actually created this sound, which is um, which is nuts to me. So so when when Jay Z talked about what on on what's free, when he talked about they took they they stole soul from 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 this music. You know, I think that's what that's what um, essentially he, he's talking about. And and you know, when you look at Black Panther, I know there was a debate that went on about that. But and, and I'm proud that you know we finally had something to illustrate us in our in our greatness. But but it's it's again it's disheartening. It's, and I guess it's a dual edged sword. Like yes, we have the quote unquote representation, but at the end of the day, who does it benefit? Who does it benefit economically? And, you know, unfortunately, we live in a, in a system that is, is ran and powered by economics and, and money. So, you know, when you when you look at who really owns these these industries, these platforms, these 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 institutions, it's it's not the people that typically look like you and I. It's not people of color primarily at all. You know, and, and that's that's really the conversation that needs to be had. It's great that it's great that some of these um, companies are allowing or diversifying themselves but i think what's even more important is for us to to really look into look into supporting and building our own stuff and actually having that having us back up um and do things in our in our communities for ourselves um i recently saw that um jaden smith he's uh his company is actually bringing clean water and filtration systems to flint you know what i mean so so, so that's an example of what I mean by us actually building our own businesses and platforms. And in return, we can actually have, we can scale them and actually have the economic power to invest in our own communities and do for ourselves. You get what I'm saying? Uh, I granted, think that's 100% so, true. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no worries. I was going to say, I feel like the reason why you know, we don't have ownership. I think people take the long, the short-term view of things and that we need to take right. the long-term view. Like I got a chance to go to a panel where Kenya Barris was speaking, you know, he created Blackish and Grownish, and he was saying how he's putting more of an emphasis on ownership right now. And so right. I think the short-term view, you can go with, Say if you made a TV show, you know, you can sign your a deal with Paramount or Fox or one of the major studios and they'll probably give you, you know, a hundred, say they give you a hundred million dollars because they have more money. They can do that. Right. You sign right. your million dollar deal. But in the long run, you don't have ownership over that. So a hundred right. million dollars might seem like a lot, but say maybe you created the Simpsons or something like crazy. And right. over the span of, you know, 20 years that your show is on, you actually don't have that much. And so his whole philosophy is that we need to start, you know, rejiggering what we think of as success so he was saying like he's writing movies but he started a production company where he owns the movie now maybe his production company he's not you know paramount and he's not these major studios so maybe he can only make a small budget movie that costs 10 million dollars to make where the average movie might cost 100 million dollars to make but if he can make a $10 million movie and say it makes $50 million in profits, even though that might seem small compared to, you know, like blockbusters, that's still a $40 million profit. And that still right. owns the, the rights to that. And so he can make 20 $10 million movies that have, you know, four times a profit. And so he was saying, right think about things in a different way and that I agree most people are short-sighted and they just go with whoever's the bigger company at the moment because they're going to give them the most money but if we take if we look in a certain way and we're not concerned about the most money right now we're concerned about ownership then you know Mm -hmm. maybe people will rethink these deals and rethink like 
hey, maybe this person's going to give me a lot of money now, but if I own my own stuff, I'll have more money in the long run. And, you know, I'll have access and opportunity to help other people and not be beholden to, you know, um, the, the rules of someone who doesn't even really understand my culture. So I think that we all need to shift in, uh, you know, think about doing things for ourselves on a smaller scale at first. So then it can grow into something. I feel like most people just want quick, like, let me get the money right now. Don't think about how their actions impact things on a long-term scale. No, I think you're right. You're absolutely right. And I think um, it, not only just ownership, but just um, and, and, uh, and controlling and owning your own thing, but actually being the gatekeepers of these platforms. Because um, one thing I think about, um, and I tell my partners this all the time, and we have these conversations. Is um, you know, we support a lot of platforms as, as Black people. Um, we we make a lot of things cool. You know, mm-hmm. what I mean, we we definitely we definitely control the cool. Mm-hmm. You know, we 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 make things cool. We make things pop, and 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 ultimately, you know, people follow that. So um, when I look at Instagram, when I look at Facebook, when I look at all these platforms, that ultimately, you know it became it became a a cool thing for for us to do and for us to create these 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 and use these to use these mediums really to to relay a message which is great but when i think about you know when you look at some of these companies and who they actually hire you know what i mean or who who who's actually on the staff it's hardly ever people of color it's hardly ever any black or brown people at all you you know when you look at um you know we all have iPhones and all that it's great when you look at Apple you look at the majority of the people that you know that work for these 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 corporate corporations it's hardly people of color it's majority people of you know of of European descent for the most part and so that's the other conversation that that we need to have not only just ownership but being the gatekeepers because when I look at you know the audiobook industry specifically um me learning about this industry and really getting into it you know from the top to the bottom um like I said it's been a racial and cultural monopoly um from the platforms the my primary the 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 most prevalent platforms from the publishing companies from the majority of the authors that they really push, um, from the, from the narrators, from the people that most of the people that actually are doing the production. Um, and uh, from top to bottom, it's, 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 it's controlled. Um, and, and if you actually have, for example, for us, we have our own platform, right? Mm -hmm. So we get to choose, which authors and which books that we want on the platform. We get to choose which voices are on the platform. We get to choose who we who partner with to do production and all this. You know, that that that's a gatekeeper. And one thing that we lack in our community is opportunities. And the reason we don't have these opportunities is one, we don't have the information because it's hoarded. And two, um, when we get the information and we actually try to apply to to these quote unquote opportunities, um, we don't have gatekeepers willing to open that door for us um which is again a, the second conversation we should have is how important ownership is not only for yourself but for everybody else that wants to come in through the door so what we're trying to do at Abantu audio is we're trying to not only educate people on what we're doing not only provide that information to the community via audiobooks but also open that door for people that are trying to get their foot in the door for anybody that wants to get started in narration we got you you know, we, we'll, we'll work with you and we'll try to get you where you need to be. Anybody that is a self-published author that, you know, may not necessarily have, be able to get their books to a big name publishing company, we got you. We'll help you and we'll work with you to convert your book into an audiobook and then put it on the platform. And then, you know, on the back end, our royalties, because we understand the demographics that we're serving, are highly favorable to our authors, specifically self-published. Um, so... So it's it's this whole thing that you really got to look at. And I think as a community and as a people, we really got to be strategic about the way we maneuver within the system. That is so true. Have you seen the Netflix show, um, Trigger Warning, Killer Mike show? 
I haven't had a chance to. I'm. I ain't gonna front, bro. <laughs> like to be real, with you, I ain't gonna front. Like I'm trying to. I'm trying to save as much as I can. I, my Netflix account is gone. Every oh. single account is gone. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> yeah, like you can't use your friends. No, I'm. Listen, I don't. And the reason for it is because we're bootstrapping this com- company. Mm-hmm. So, so with that being said, and. Typically, that's the case for for our community. We don't necessarily have the investments to actually for people to actually help us build. And not only that, but personally, um, if you're not about the cause, I don't care how much money you got. I'm not with it because once you once you allow people to you know stuff money in your pockets or whatever, one they end up controlling it because they financing you and they financially backing you. And two, they they can they can convertly disrupt what it is that your vision may, your original vision may have been. So. Uh-huh. Because we're bootstrapping the the platform, and we have been bootstrapping it um, since 2015, um, I've had to cut costs as much as I possibly can to one still live a somewhat of a life, and and two to continue to help grow our platform. But so I haven't had a chance to watch it, but I, I've seen scenes, I've watched interviews with Killer Mike, which I which I really appreciate a lot of them, and it seems dope. But um, what were you gonna say? Oh, I was just saying he does like a whole episode. I think it's the the first episode actually about where he tries to only buy like support black businesses for. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, and he, <laughs> like it's it's funny. Obviously, it's like exaggerated at some points to make a point. Like he sleeps on a, a park bench because he can't find like a black owned hotel. But like, really? point, yeah, yeah, the point was made like. Um, you know, from food production, all of these things, he couldn't find black businesses. And he went back, you know, he said when he grew up or when his parents grew up, his grandparents, like that area, all black people own their businesses. And he was talking about, you know, integration. And he's like, obviously, I'm not saying we should be segregated. That's not what I'm saying. But he's saying like, when you segregated you were you were forced to like support your own economy and grow your own economy and he's like just because you know things are integrated right now that automatically meant that we took that to meant that like white businesses are the best (laughs) that's not the case he's like you know every other community whether it's like asian people or latino people you know like they own their own grocery stores they own restaurants like you can go to this community and and support it and like he showed um statistics well i i had known this before i saw that show but it was basically how money circulates and how you know asian communities their dollar circulates within their community for about um, almost 30 days for white people is around something like 25, 27 days for black mm-hmm. people. It was six hours. <laughs> six hours. Yeah. Yeah. So, so to speak on that, I'm glad you brought that part up. So we, on, on the Avantu audio platform, um, we actually have a book that's about black wall street, you know, and granted there's, there's a multiple of black wall streets that, that, that existed, but the one that most people hear, hear, hear about or know about is the one in Tulsa, the Greenwood district. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we have the book black wall street is on our platform and, um, and you know, we always focus on the riot, the riot part, which granted was an, was a, a crazy moment. In, in the book, because when the narrator was narrating it, and I was actually I I was actually the one that recorded that book with the narrator. We would pause and just like have moments of like a little powwow, like bro, what the, you know what I mean? Like you know, just just like wow, like this is this, this is what you, this is how y'all that's this is how y'all were acting back then, and even till this day on low key. But um, anyway, so the so we always focus on the right and the fact that you know they 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 were jealous and they stole and. Uh, they looted black communities, burnt it down, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, so, but the part that we have not focused on, and I really hope people, when they listen to that book on on the platform, um, the part that I want people to focus on is exactly what you just said, is the impact of what happened after being desegregated, right? Mm-hmm. So, so after the riot happened, which was in the early 1920s, right? Um, it, obviously, a lot of people were murdered. Um, a lot of people died. A lot of people were displaced. A lot of people left, flee, flee. A lot of people lost a lot of their economic power. But the the the, the area rebuilt it, 
itself. It, obviously, because of the loss and because of the everything else that you can you know, you can you can you can point to that that caused it to be a struggle to rebuild. But they did rebuild, not to that level, but they did you know begin to start reestablishing their 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 town again. Um, what happened after that was, um, of course, the um, the Great Depression. That caused a lot of um, that caused a lot that caused them to get backed up. So you get hit with a riot because these white people want to destroy your your community because they're jealous that you're you're prospering. So they destroy your community in the early 20s, and then in the 1930s or so, you have the Great Depression, um, which you know economically destroyed the country as a whole, but specifically made it harder for, for black people, even though we were living in, you know, great depression type of unemployment, um, percentages anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so then you have the great depression, right. And then right after that, you know, you know, people are, they're still trying to rebuild from that, from that, from that riot. They still try to, from the 1920s, they still trying to rebuild, still trying to reestablish what they weren't worth, Right. And, um, that's when you have desegregation and, um, and this is the part book for me that was like wow this wow when desegregation happened um and i think it 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 has to do with the way that this system has um and not not indoctrinated us but has systemically made us perceive ourselves and our worth right Mm -hmm. um so i think once desegregation happened um because we always wanted to be with white people we always thought white people stuff the white stuff is way better the white product is better the white company is better all you know all, the white everything is better at those times that was the thinking around the 1960s or so um and i, I, I and, and not to be harsh but i felt like we were a little a little desperate for it um granted i'm glad that it happened because it did protect us from all the abuse and violence that we were experiencing specifically in the south but um, but once desegregation happened, um, you know, in the book it says that at first black people started is is the economic dollar, um, it started dripping out of the black community drip by drip, like drip by drip, um, but after a while it was like a whole flow of economic money, black dollars just flowing out of the community, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they said that desegregation with with the with desegregation white people unlock the um the lock of the black dollar so desegregation was the key to unlock the black dollar oh, right okay. and so and so what happened was that after a while all these black owned companies and businesses they started shutting down because our own people were not supporting them anymore they were going to the white owned companies they were going to the white side of town to buy their stuff they were going to you know, they were they were associating themselves more with the with the with, with what white people were selling and leaving everything that they had in their own community and they left and, and because of that, because of the lack of support, they shut down. And that's ultimately what destroyed Black Wall Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because we stopped supporting ourselves and you would think, you know, you would think with desegregation, white people would come into your community and buy and then, you know, and as black people go into the white community and buy. But that's not what happened. White people st- stood where they continued to stand. They continued to support their own people. They continued to buy within themselves. And they didn't care about, you know, the, the black community and what the, whatever the black people were selling, right? But we, as a people, we, we neglected ourselves and we started shopping with them. And, and we allowed our own businesses to, to fail because of that. And so... And so now here we are decades later and we're, we're still somewhat experiencing somewhat of the same thing. You know what I mean? Um, where there's not a support system for black businesses and companies in order for them to economically build the capacity to stand as tall as some of these major um, corporations, which a lot of them started during slavery. You know what I mean? So we don't have them slave dollars. Yeah. Um, and, and unfortunately, um, we don't necessarily have the patience i think at times to support our companies granted you have to have quality quality regardless if you're a business you have to be of quality but we don't allow ourselves the time to grow you know these businesses have been in and they've been they've been had money for a long time so we don't have that money we it takes us time 
to grow. And I think we need to be a little more patient with ourselves. And I think we need to really look at those lessons like Black Wall Street to really learn like, okay, one, once they start seeing you do good, they will be jealous. And yeah. but two, <laughs> support your own because yeah. we all we got. I totally agree. Like it, it is hard though. Like I tried, you know, because the, the businesses are so limited, like luckily there's a black bank, you know, not too far from my house. Um, right. so I can support that. And I've recently started, you know, supporting this um, like skincare company that's black owned and, you know, natural. I support that and it's hair care too. But um, yeah, I think we, it's funny because I feel like there's some stereotype that like, oh, black businesses, they, they show you shoddy things and all, and, and all this stuff, which I don't like because I feel like you know, white businesses sell you shoddy shit. Like when you see (laughs) like the disrespect that these fashion brands give you and you still want to give these people your money, like people be disrespected a thousand times by like some restaurant that a white person owns and still go to that restaurant. But like they have bad service one time at a black person restaurant. It's like, Oh, black people do this. Black people do that. Like, and it's just really annoying. Cause I'm like, you, you give your own people one chance to do something and they mess up. You'll never support them again. But these other companies have been disrespecting you for a hundred years and you'll still give them your money. Like, I don't, I don't get that. Right. No sense. Right. Well, I mean, we've been socially engineered, you know what I mean? We've been socially engineered since slavery. We've been socially engineered, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we weren't, we weren't offered the education, which is, which is the, which is what's crazy. Like, um, back then they would kill us if we would read, you know what I mean? They would hang us if we, we would read, they would do all these things just to keep you from reading and writing. Right. And we also have a book, um, it's actually free, um, uh, about Frederick Douglass and Frederick Douglass's book is so powerful because he talks about how powerful reading and writing and how, how ambition, ambitious he was to want to learn how to read and write. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and he said it like someone, someone who's, who has knowledge or is educated is unfit to be a slave. And so they used to hang us and kill us at those times for doing so. And now here we are and we don't, we don't do it, but you know, we have, we've been socially engineered and we've been socially engineered to look at ourselves as less. We've been socially engineered to, to see, you know, your centric views and perspectives as superior. We've been socially engineered to, to want to be involved and, what they got going on as opposed to what we got going on. It's just, so it's really a, and, and I think there's, there's this movement called decolonize the mind. So yeah. really you got to decolonize the way you think you really got to decolonize your, the mental space that you're currently in the viewpoints and perspectives that you, that you see. And the only way to do that is really to attain information and knowledge, truthful knowledge and information that can help, help shake up the, 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 colonized mind and help you um derode or erode some of this some of this information that they they've been they've been they've been systematically given to us for 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 centuries you know and that's why again with abantu audio that's one of our main purposes and which why which is why we're starting off with nonfiction stories at first is because before we can get to that next stage and next phase we have to we have to decolonize our minds we have to get the information and knowledge that we need to actually understand and get full context and perspective of what we're looking at and dealing with as a people as a as a people of color as a community and ultimately as a society you know i mean once you have the information and once you have the knowledge then you can then apply that knowledge um you know so that that personally that's why we started off with nonfiction. so we want because we want to help educate some of that out of our minds and then from there you know you can you can create and have fantasy and fiction and and all that you can you can create whatever it is that comes from your mind now because you're creating from a decolonized mind state of mind as opposed to a colonized mind you get what i'm saying i 100 percent understand personally 
I only read nonfiction these days. I don't think I've read a fiction book, uh, no, probably in like six or seven years. And I read a lot, but I, I don't know. I, I guess I'm of the opinion, like if I'm going to use my time to read, I want to learn something. Um, right. And I, you know, I write TV, so I watch TV so I can get my fiction from that. (laughs) (laughs) Let me me get my fiction fixed real quick. (laughs) I only, I read only nonfiction. Yeah. So I'm actually, I'm writing a book right now. So I need to put my book on uh, a Bantu when it's done. But (laughs) What are some of your favorite books that, like, what are, like, top three to five books you can give people to just start, you know, say they're interested after listening to this podcast and they don't really know what books they can read to, you know, really decolonize the mind? What are some books you recommend? Right. And um, and, and I'll say this before I answer the question. Um, I actually had the same thought when it came to nonfiction, but my partner Alejandro, cause he's big on literature and reading too. He actually brought up the fact that, you know what? People can actually learn also through fiction. You know, it may be make believe. It may be like, for example, like historical fiction, right? Yeah. It's not real, but it's based on real things. You get what I mean? So, um, so I think depending on the type of fiction, people can still read. I mean, still can learn, but it just has to be in a, in a, in a, in a, culturally relatable context you get what i'm saying so when it comes to fiction and and that leads me into my answer for you so when it comes to fictions or you know some of the books that we have online or on the platform um i, I would be biased because me personally i think every single book is good <laughs> like for real. And i'm not just saying i'm dead ass i'm dead ass like i'm not even like i'm not i'm not trying to say that to say oh yeah our art is ish like if it's trash it's trash i can't you know what I mean? I can't, I'm not going to sit here and in, in front, but because I've been the one recording it and I've been listening to these books as they're being recorded, I'm like, yo, how do nobody know about these books and why are these books in, in, in libraries and everywhere else? Because there's so much information in them and they're so, they're so, a lot of them are so well written. Um, but to answer your question, I would definitely, number one, I would say Black Wall Street. Mm-hmm. For me, I think, I think it's 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 un, it's good to have that understanding as far as it's not just about the riot. We focus on the riot, which is good. Yes, they did that, but we need to focus on what happened after the riot because these people definitely we tried to rebuild, and unfortunately, there was an issue at on the back end that caused us not to be able to rebuild. So, I would say Black Wall Street um, definitely would be um, one of my, my one of my tops um there's a book on there called shango and um i don't know if you're familiar with shango but shango is um shango is a yoruba deity or god right he's the the god of yeah he's he's an african yoruba god right and um and so it's funny because we had um we had this uh we had a kenyan um review the book for us and you know she or or, yeah she was no she was nigerian i'm sorry we had a nigerian woman um um um, read the book for us and um and and review it and she was she like in her review she was like yo i was getting ready to i thought i was getting ready to hear some some something about some african stuff and what the twist is the book is about it's a fictional book and that's why i said as long as it's culturally contextualized it it it, it, it makes for a great read um it's a it's a fictional book um a, a mystery really um about uh afro-cubano based out of miami um um, PhD student who ultimately finds himself um, getting deeper in the Afro-Cuban spirituality of Santeria. Now, I grew up in Florida, right? I grew, I grew up in Miami. I grew up in Florida. And, you know, I, I knew about Santeria, but I never really, at, back then, I really never understood it really. I mean, I, I, I figured it was similar to, you know, the, the Haitian voodoo practice that I'm familiar with, being that I'm Haitian. But um, I didn't necessarily connect it to. Um, and my mom used to always tell me, like, everybody has voodoo. Everybody has some type of, you know, magic or whatever that they use. They just call it something else. So, you know, Afro-Cubans, they have the Sinteria um, religious practice. And a lot of that stems from the Yoruba religion practice. So in that book, again, it's, it's called Shango. 
um, it talks about this Afro-Cuban as he gets mixed up and entangled in the murder and all this. Like, it's, it's an amazing book, and the narrator did a freaking amazing job reading it. And so that would be my second book that I would say, if I was to choose one or out of two, those two books specifically, I would definitely highlight them. Um, the third book is a book that we're actually working on right now. Um, we just we just got the rights um, from the University of Wisconsin um, a month back, I believe. Um, and we're actually working on that book right now. And it's called Black Moses. And it's about um, Marcus Garvey. Oh. Um, so, yeah, it, it's the story of Marcus Garvey. And that book is I'm we haven't recorded yet, but I'm looking forward. <laughs> Look, <laughs> I'm looking forward of recording that book i'm excited and we already we already have the we already have the narrator so we just we just about to, we get that book's about to be popping for real so um those would be as far as black people are concerned i would say those three books but also um again we're also trying to build this platform to build a bridge between the black and brown communities because there's a disconnect between us um i think there's some racism and colorism that's involved unfortunately but we, we share a lot of similar struggles currently. Um, you know, obviously, you know, African people were enslaved. But um, at the same time, when you look at the brown community, these people were indigenous to this land. Mm-hmm. And so they experienced genocide. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, and I mean, and I know that because there's actually a book that we're working on called Apartheid in Indian Country that talks about how the five civilized tribes, at least four of them, had slaves which is the conversation of um, intersectionality that we got to talk about. But ultimately, when you look at a lot of the you know, Native American tribes, they were, they were, they were murdered, you know? Yeah. So, um, so, so when it comes to the brown community, because um, we really want to build this bridge of understanding so we can see that, yo, like we're not as different as we may think. And a lot of the cultural things that you have as, as brown people, a lot of that stems from Africa. You know what I mean? Um, so one, one of the books I would, I would, um, I would um, highlight for, for my brown community is um, there's this one called Outlaw, and it's about, um, about the, a New Yorican called Miguel Pinedo. It's a poem, the poetry book slash playbook, cause he, and, and that book is amazing. Like, again, the narrator did a great job with that book. It's, it's dope. It's deep. It's, 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 it's really, really an amazing title. Um, we also have another one called... Um, we won't back down, and it's about this um, Chicana woman out of um, South Texas. You know, she basically was a high school student activist, and she she went against the grain, and uh, she ultimately become became the mayor of that community, um, and really led a lot of change. Um, so there's that one, and then there's another one called the Making of a Civil Rights um, Leader. And when you hear that title, you would think of like you know Martin Luther King or somebody, right? What, what do you think about when you hear that title? Well, like what you said, but now that I know it's about brown people, it's about like Cesar Chavez or someone who is. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, basically, yeah. So, so it, it <laughs> you got me cracking up over here. <laughs> oh man, oh man, I appreciate you, yo. That 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 made me. Yeah, it's it's about um it's about it's about um one of their um one of their civil rights leaders and again going back to before I, I named the title going back to what I was saying like it's crazy to me because um growing up I never even knew that there was a Chicano civil rights movement that was inspired by Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement that the black community was pushing. Yeah, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. We were pushing. I never knew that growing up in Florida. I never knew that. I I didn't even know who Cesar Chavez was until until I got um <laughs> until I got uh, until I lived in New Mexico. I didn't even know who oh, the hell that wow. was. Oh, well, I guess I grew up in LA, so I knew that. Right. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. I didn't I didn't know that. I didn't know. I didn't know. Who, I didn't even know that. So and I didn't even know about the Chicano civil rights um, Chicano movement. I didn't know about the Hispanic civil rights. I didn't know about none of that. And then when I and I when I got to the Southwest, that's when I started picking up on all this stuff. I was like, "Yo, like they were going through the same things too. Like Mexicans were being hanged in California back then, while Black people were being hanged in the South. That's nuts." But um, one of the ones that we have on there right now is called um, "The Making of a Civil Rights Leader," um, and it's about um, Jose Angel Guterres, and mm-hmm. he was um, he was definitely about that life, I think. Um, and there's actually a few of them. 
like, you know, when you think about like Huey P. Newton, Bobby Seale, you know, Fred Hampton, when you think about like Asada Shakur, when you think about some of the real revolutionaries that we had in the black community, bruh, mm-hmm. bruh, people had some real revolutionaries on, on the yeah. side too. You know what I mean? Like they were about that life and that, about that action for real too. So it's like, yo, I don't understand why we beefing. We need to be like, yo, y'all. You know the 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 enemy of my enemy is my friend. Yeah, we need to be over here looking at what's really going on and really see peeping game because the um, divide and conquer is a is a old old you know strategic war um, game that people use and we've been we've been being we've been being conquered and divided for a long long time. So so again, going back to the the brown community, those those three books I would I would highly I would highly um. I would highly um, suggest you, they take a look at, and and that's for both of our communities. You know, we need we need to learn more about each other's struggles. I think really to really understand that we we've been dealing with some of the same issues. I think that's true, and I think white people need to learn these things. Like, what bothers uh-huh. me is that they say, you know, we have Black History Month or whatever, which you know, Black History. I'm Black History Year every day. Like, I don't, I don't need a month to celebrate history because black history is just you know i'm american black history is american history like it shouldn't be delineated as something separate that's just something that should be taught as part of curriculum to white people black people because white people are just as brainwashed as we are you know we live in a we live in a eurocentric society so I literally had, when I was in college, I remember we were reading, like, um, I, we were reading, I want to say, The House on Mango Street or Women Warrior. You know, The House on Mango Street is written by, you know, Latina author. Women Warrior was written by a Chinese-American author. But we had mm-hmm. this white man in our the class that just stood up and was like, I don't see why I need to read these books by this Chinese lady in this Mexican lady. I think we read <laughs> Tony Morris and this black lady. Like, what difference does it make? And I stood up and was like, Well, I've had to read books by random white people my entire life. So why don't you sit the fuck down and read one book <laughs> in your life that doesn't like I literally said in class and the, the professor, yeah. the professor was a white man. He was just exposing these people to other books. And the professor right. didn't get mad at me. He was like, Yeah, what she said. <laughs> right. That's true. That's true because no. like they're so we're so brainwashed. White people are also brainwashed into thinking that whiteness is sort of the default standard of everything and that anything that delineates from like a white male perspective is something weird or uh, absurd and we don't have time for that it's like no you are also missing out by not enriching yourselves and learning about other people because you've also been lied to like the more white people can learn about other people and learn the truth the more that racism, you know, will decrease because they have been lied to the to believe that they are superior, which is not true. We have been lied to, to believe that we're inferior. So everyone needs like a comprehensive, you know, education that has a world based view. That's the only way that we're going to grow past that. Is that kids need to learn the truth from a young age, like. No, you're you're absolutely right. And I'm I'm gonna tell a story, and I hope nobody judge me, um, and and crucify me. All right? <laughs> okay. all right. I'm scared so, now. What is the story? It ain't nothing scary. Nah, but people, and 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 I, I I say that disclaimer because I I don't want people to judge me. But um, so so it's hard. It, it it's it's been a struggle, and this is why I say it's so important for us to try to build platforms for ourselves because it's been a struggle to find black narrators black and brown narrators specifically let me say that so like start like early on early on and this is back in 2016 when, when i was doing this um i i was struggling to find narrators. again mm-hmm. we're bootstrapping things so i was trying to like cut costs as much as possible and i couldn't find people that was able were able to read some of the some of the books that we had because they were you know you know you you, you had to have a decent vocabulary right and so, um, so I brought up this, I brought in this white dude, John, um, and he's, he's actually a really good dude. He's a really good dude, really cool. 
Um, he's a he's a military veteran from um, from South Carolina. Um, older gentleman, about forty or fifty, um, late forties, fifties or whatnot. Um, but he's cool as hell. Good dude, really good dude, really good heart, right? And um, and you know, we I had him record this open source book because um, on the on the platform we have contracted books and we have open source books, right? And the reason we set it up that way is because I grew up in the hood. I know that yo, my mom ain't want to buy certain stuff because we ain't had the bread, right? Mm-hmm. So. So I understand our demographic and I understand our economic situation. So I, we try, we try to put books on the platform that are free. So you don't even have to pay the subscription. You don't even have to pay for the book. All you have to do is sign up and you can actually listen to these books for the free because I understand where I come from. You may not always have it. You get what I'm saying? Even though the subscription is 99 and I mean, come on, that's a McDonald's meal. Come on, bro. Um, But, uh, but Pete, so 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 I had him read this this open source book called um, Peonage, right? Because back in the day, after after um, slavery during the Jim Crow era, you know they had this thing called Peonage, where you know they essentially what the prison industrial system kind of is now, where they would basically you would they would basically enslave you via debt, and you would be forced to work for them, kind of again like they have felons and people that are in prison working now. For these companies they'll they'll have you working um in order to pay your quote-unquote debt off and the way that they would do that you would have to work even longer because they would finesse it in a way to where you were damn near indebted to them for like for uh, something that was supposed to only be for a few months end up lasting like 20 uh, like five years right mm. and the way they they would do it was um the way they'll do it is like okay yeah you 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 owe me like 10 cents or 25 cents, right? Cool. So this, you got to work for me for this long, right? So while you're working for them, they'll end up being like, oh, yeah, you know what? We actually had to pay for those tools for you. And, you know, we actually had to feed you ultimately. So um, you actually owe us more now. So now you're even more indebted to these people, right? And so, so now instead of working for only six, seven months, now you're working to pay back something for for three years so so john was reading and narrating this book for me right keep in mind he's a older gentleman grew up in south carolina military man so that means he's traveled the world right um he was narrating this book and i remember specifically one time he came out the booth while we were having a break he's like luke i gotta tell you buddy i never knew that happened and i looked at him like what are you talking about He's like, I never knew people were being treated. Like, I never knew. I was like, are you serious? I was like, are you serious? He's like, yeah, I, I never knew. I was like, how did you not know? You grew up in the South. He's like, I don't know. I never knew. Like, I, they never taught this to me. Mm. And it blew my mind. Like, I was in my mind. I was like, what the? F- how do you not? And then it, that's when it, I was like, this, this platform isn't just about black and brown people. It's really about our society as a whole. Because yeah. white people are also very ignorant to the true history because of the indoctrination that these institutions have placed within our curriculums, right? Yeah. So I was, that's, when I, that's when it hit me like, yo, this ain't just for black and brown people, bro. This is for white people, too, because mm-hmm. they don't know anything. They, mm-hmm. they don't know a lot. Well, let me say this. For some, some are very ignorant to it. Um, and some are willfully ignorant to it and some have the information and they're just, they're just ignorantly cruel. You get what I'm saying? And they want the status quo to remain where it is. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's, those, that's how I, those are the three classifications of white folks for me. It's the ones that are completely <laughs> ignorant. It's the ones that are completely ignorant to it. It's the ones that are willfully ignorant that don't want to know. Because mm-hmm. I, I I experienced that with an author, with a narrator. She didn't want to read one of the books, the one of the open source books. And I looked at it, I was like, well, I guess if you don't want to talk about slavery and stuff that y'all did, then I guess you got to go somewhere. <laughs> I'm sorry. This, these are, this is what we're doing over here. So if you want to do that, go over there. But, um, so, so, you know, it's, it, you know, there's people that are willfully ignorant. Like I said, there's those that, you know, you, you can consider them allies that, that, you know, they, they understand and they actually want to help. Um, and then there's those that they, they know the information and they're, they, they just want to stay cruel. They want the status quo to be where it is and they want to 
keep stay in power, which me personally, I think there's more of those. But, mm-hmm. you know, ultimately, a lot of them, a lot of white folks don't know. And um, it's important that we, we, you know, if you want to learn, come on to Ubuntu Audio, get you a subscription and learn something. But we not, I don't care. Personally, I don't care. If you come, you come. You don't, you don't. I don't care. Because at the end of the day, it's, it's on you. You know what I mean? All I, all I know now from this point, ignorance is not an excuse. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, oh yeah. So you're completely right. Yeah. Why, a lot of white people don't know. Yeah, they they really don't know. Sad and I don't know. I, I get in debates with my friend because she's all about like, she's like, if white people don't know, I'm not going to do the emotional labor of teaching white people. Like <laughs> we live in a the, the age of the internet, like if they don't know racism exists, like like what can I do for this person but I do agree that there's different types of people like there are people who are just ignorant and you know they would change if they knew and then there's people that just don't care to know so I feel like you need to know what type of person you're dealing with and you know I'm not I don't do any emotional labor for white people I I just send them a link like you don't know this uh, I refer them to a video, uh, <laughs> a book, but I don't right. to explain things to them. I don't right. for that. No, but I do think we need to realize that everyone has been brainwashed, not just us. So right. often don't know because they're raised on the same nonsense that we have been raised up on. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's been a Eurocentric point of view. I mean, um, and I feel you like I'm not, I'm not breaking a sweat if you're from the dominant society and you don't want to learn, that's on you. This platform is me personally. I want it to be for everybody, but I'm focused on my community. Of course. Day. Yeah. You get And like, if you white, there's no way we can't ban you from purchasing a book. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean, we don't, we don't have the algorithm to where, Oh yeah, we can, we can, Oh yeah. This, this person's white, the way they typing, they type it like a white person. No, they can, no, we don't have that. So it's open for you to come if you want to learn. But ultimately, if you don't, that's on you. We ain't tripping. We're going to keep doing us over here. But um, but going back to what you're saying, saying that, you know, everybody's ignorant, um, even and that goes back to the brown community. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, so we have a book called um, um, about Vincent Guerrero. And I don't, and Vincent Guerrero was the second president of Mexico. Right. Mm-hmm. He was of African and, and Native American ancestry. So mm-hmm. basically he was a black person. Yeah. Right. Um, so Mexico's second president was a black man who ended, who was the one that ended slavery in Mexico, who mm-hmm. also was a general in the Mexican army who helped fight the Spaniards to liberate Mexico from Spain. Right. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was talking to this, uh, I was talking to this Brown brother and I was telling him like, yeah, we got this book. And he, like, I was dropping his knowledge on him about his own, his own history. Mm-hmm. And he was like, wow, I never knew that. I was like, how, <laughs> how do you not know this? But then again, like you said, we've all been brainwashed and that's why we we're trying to do the work to help, to help decolonize our minds. Well, thank you for doing this work. That reminds me of, I was, you know, watching a documentary on PBS about Che Guevara. I mean, everyone knows Che, his face, right. his shirt, see his face on like Urban Outfitters t-shirts. Oh yeah, he's <laughs> People don't really know what he was about. But in the right. documentary, obviously in Cuba, there's lots of African people. And, you know, mm-hmm. all the, you know, the people supporting the movement or a large number of Black people uh like it it you know and this was during you know the 50s when america is segregated and you know you right. have these revolutionaries in cuba where they have cubans of like european descent dark skinned cubans you know indigenous people and they all were coming together but that's something i you know i didn't know that until i was in my 20s like i, I knew who che right. was but you just think of che as like a revolutionary for them. I didn't know that right. it was such a diverse, you know, group of revolutionaries. So I do think that, you know, these stories need to be told. So um, tell tell everyone, tell the listeners how they can, you know, find a, a Bantu and get involved. Uh, what do they have to do? All right, bet. So, uh, so you can actually find us on 
the website, number one, www.abantuaudio.com. And that's A-B-A-N as in Nancy, T-U, audio.com. And um, just a little side note, Abantu also means, um, in the Zulu language, it means people or community. So it's the people or, and or community audio. Um, just, uh, just a little little teaser there but um you can find us on www.abantuaudio.com and we're also on twitter facebook and instagram at abantu audio um i mean i would love you all to support um what we're doing ultimately we're really trying to build um a community within a community really um we're trying to disrupt an industry that has been racially and culturally monopolized for a very long time we're trying to make it easily accessible to attain knowledge and information. We're trying to switch up the game. You know me, if you self-published author, you can go straight to audiobooks and have it on a black owned platform, um, brown owned platform as well for, for, for my, for my Latino or Chicano, um, brothers and sisters. And really, we just want to, we really want to push this, this, this movement forward. Um, cause ultimately my, my goal, um, because we're contracted with a lot of universities, a lot of university presses, excuse me. My, one of my major goals is to really, you know, make us build this platform, have it stamped by the people and come back to universities like, yeah, you see the, all these people supporting this? We need this. So go ahead and try to find a way to make this app, build this app into your curriculum. You get what I'm saying? And hope, and, and try to change the narrative that way. And And also, you know, when you have a corporation that has the economic means, we can invest in ourselves. We can invest in our communities. We can do things for ourselves when we have that economic power. And we, when we have that economic power, we can go ahead and attain the political power ultimately. So um, that's really the, the, the primary goals and visions of what we're trying to do. And it starts with the people though. That's really cool. And I know you said you were obviously bootstrapping things is is there any way people can donate to you or get involved do you need investors or how are you you know are there ways people can get involved to help you guys um definitely subscribe the the subscription is 6.99 um definitely purchase the books um because you know we live in a show improved society so we have to show that people are willing and want to actually listen to these things and then as that proof, we can obviously, obviously um, demand more from 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 some of these um, some of these um, organizations. Uh, but uh, we do plan on creating a uh, a um, uh, not a Kickstarter, a um, Indiegogo, or mm-hmm. maybe a Kickstarter. One or two. We plan on creating one of those sometime in the in the in the future here. Hopefully, maybe in April, because right now we're developing our Android app, um, and we may need in order to get the iPhone app out quicker. We made uh, we may need assistance to to build that, you know what I mean, and and really um, to bring in more people because we're paying our narrators, and because I believe in paying people, and I believe in paying my people. So 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 we're paying the narrators, we're paying we're 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 paying for everything really, and um, so when we when we do launch this this Kickstarter or this Indiegogo, um, if there's anybody that would like to donate. Um, it would be greatly appreciated because, you know, like I said, we all we got, and it does take a village to, to, to move a mountain in my, in my opinion. Um, so, but right now the primary thing that we would need and would love for you all to do is subscribe, pay for the monthly subscription and share, 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 share. Well, thank you so much for talking to me and I'm going to put all those links up on the webs on my website. And when I post this interview so people can easily find the links. I learned a lot from this conversation. I'm definitely going to go subscribe to you guys and read or listen. I don't not read, listen to some books. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Wish you guys much success. I appreciate you, Ray. And thank you so much for letting us um, talk about stuff. I, we don't like on your platform. Yeah. Any, any time. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Stuff I Don't Like podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Please do myself and yourself, let's let's keep it real, yourself a favor by going on Instagram and following us at Stuff I Don't Like podcast. You can also visit us on the internet, the interweb at stuffidontlike.net. 
I'd also love for you to check out the cartoon web series that I've been working on. It's a comedy. It's hilarious. You'll love it. And follow that on Instagram at Julissa, J-U-L-I-S-A underscore who, W-H-O. Follow that on Instagram and go to our website, julissahoo.com. And if you're in the LA area, we're having a premiere party August 10th. You can find out more information about that on the website, but I'm going to be there Julissa, who's a co-star and creator of the show, is going to be there. There's going to be music, drinks, comedy, performances. It's going to be dope. So check that out. And thanks. Always remember to subscribe, rate, and review the Stuff I Don't Like podcast. If you haven't done so already, tell your friends, tell your kids, tell your wife, tell your husband, tell whoever. And thanks for listening to the show. See you next week, guys.